Well, praise the Lord. I'm so excited to be sharing God's word with you today. Um, it's something that he asked me to teach on about six months ago, and I've been knowing his prompting for a while, and then I started to get people asking me to teach on heaven. And so um, I, th- I took, the, to, took the nudge from the Lord. Um, can we have the opening slide, please? Um, and I'll be nudging through these slides as we go on. Um, the difficulty I'll have this morning is this is a huge subject. Um, it's all the way through Scripture, as Mum quite rightly said, stealing some of my sermon um, <laughs> from, from Isaiah. It's funny how the Lord works, isn't it? <laughs> There's so much that the church just doesn't understand about heaven. Even good people, t- intelligent people, people who've studied the Bible for years, understanding theology, understanding Bible, able to teach, but still the very basics are there in front of us in the text and we've not even opened our eyes to, re- to see them and for our hearts to receive them. And if our hearts receive the truths that I'm going to attempt to share today, it will just fill you with joy. You know, because um, I think that our view of heaven is more like Platonism or Eastern mysticism, this sense of, in- of disembodied spirits floating around on clouds playing harps and incessantly worshipping God to the point of tedium in a large choir of uh, departed believers. And, you know, if that is heaven, I don't want to go. First of all, God has to give me a massive upgrade on my singing ability. (laughs) And secondly, I'm already bored thinking about it. And, and frankly, frank, frankly, church, I mean, some of you are like, yes, choirs. I mean, I, 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 I'd be up for that, and you'd love it, and you'd be able to talk about every element of music that goes into the, the work of choristry. But heaven is so much better than you think. Heaven is wonderful. I, I, if we could have the next slide, I, I want you to know that Salty, the singing songbook, led me to Jesus. You may have heard me confess that in this house. It's not an over-the-top statement, that. I literally found Christ through the ministry of Salty. Now, of course, my parents were wonderful role models, and our home was a place where Jesus was honored. But every person cannot take by osmosis their parents' faith. They have to receive Christ for themselves and follow Jesus of of their own volition. And when I was a kid and we were singing Christian songs by this amazing creative uh, group who made these albums, of which Salty was a central character. Can you you hear the word Salty? Salter, Psalms. That's where they got the the word. It wasn't a difficult thing to come up with. They wanted something like a songbook or a hymn book or a Bible or a book on theology. And they came up with Salty, the, the, the founders of it. I used to listen to these songs, and I remember one of the songs, you know, this is how how much I was into it. I could probably tell you which Kids Praise album it was. I think Kids Praise 5, you'll probably Google it and find I'm wrong, was a camping trip. We're going camping now, we're on our way. We're going to go up the mountain, we're going to run and jump and play. So I I know it, I know the the album. And Farney McFirefly was one of the characters in that play. Farney McFirefly. Um, But I remember... I remember one of the, they had, the, the great thing about this kids' praise thing is they had kids on there. Kids had role models in the kids performing. And, and it, it just, you know, if there's any creatives out there, please, Lord, I've only ever seen 
Kitchip Kendall come anywhere near close to this in our country. But kids need to find Jesus now. How many Ephesians and four ministries are going to be released in the lives of children? And I mean that by apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the equippers of the saints for the work of ministry. How many of, how many of the kids that we've got are going to step into ministry that will change the world? because we bothered to put a shift in it on blue t-shirt. I'm not saying that to get volunteers. It's just so significant what you do. It's not just look after the kids while the parents listen to an excessively long sermon from Steve. It's, forgive me, Lord, Jesus loves me. And, and there's grace in this church for that, right? But I, I remember listening to the Kids Praise album. And one of, the, one of the lines I remember is, when we sing Christian songs, you can sing them till you're blue in the face. But if it's not from your heart, it's not, somebody's heard it before, praise, Marianne's heard it before. You can sing Christian songs till you're blue in the face, but if it's not from your heart, it's not praise. And as a kid, I, I heard the characters saying that, and I went, all right, then I know, to, all right, I'll try that. <laughs> and I tried it, and guess what, it works. I meant what I said when I sang, and I encountered the presence of God. As a kid, as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, just, I learned that thing when I was a kid. I know how to praise you, Lord. I encountered the divine, and in that moment, the Lord had gripped my life. I remember a, a season when we were at Winstonley College. The guys in this church who've been there a while will know when that was. I was in kids' church, maybe Margaret Barrowclough and Val Hall, or other, I don't know who was doing it. And, and, and I came out of there, and it was just a standard session. I walked into um, the, the space. Nigel Hill was playing Pierce My Ear, Lord, on the piano. Do you know that song? People were worshipping. I was noticing, I'd seen, man, I'd seen loads of church services, even at that age. And I, and I was noticing the people were in a different zone with God. It's like they'd, they'd, they'd stepped it up. And it was observable to me. And as a kid, I, I, I started to sing from my heart, like kids' praise style, pierce my ear, O Lord. Now, I don't know the theology at that stage as a kid of being a bond slave for Jesus, which is what that's pointing to. Ultimately, it's like, God, you can have my life. But the Lord saw my heart. And I began to sing to the Lord with all my heart. And the Spirit of God moved upon me as a child, and I started to weep. Now, I'd never observed anyone weeping in our church. I wasn't copying anyone. It was literally a God moment. He was washing all over me. He gripped my heart. He gripped my life. And so Salty led me to Jesus. And Salty teaches many, many parts of Scripture, many, many doctrinal truths. It's still worth watching now. Even now, it's not particularly cheesy. It's even fairly current now. This album, the red one, was made in 1980, the first Kids Praise album. And in that album, we have the song, Heaven is a... Filled with glory and grace. I want to go there. Heaven is a wonderful place. Come on, sing. It, it. I want to see my Savior. Because heaven. I want to go there. The problem is, for most of us, our Bible and theology, we don't think heaven's a wonderful place. We certainly don't want to go there. You're like, oh, great, I've got a little safety net when I die, but I really like my time on earth. Can I just encourage you to fight for your life on earth, but be excited about heaven? 
fight to live, be excited to die. Paul says to Philippians, it's far better, right? To be at home in the body is where? To be away from the Lord. But to be with Christ in heaven is far better indeed, actually, the language is. Now, we have to hear that. Before we even get into the doctrine and the theology of this, we have to hear Paul's words in those three, three, three words. Heaven is far better indeed, I add my bits, than what we've got. Now, already we should be being comforted, those of us who've lost loved ones. Now, of course we grieve, but we don't grieve as other this as scripture says. There's some crazy Christian ideas out there that Christians just shouldn't grieve at all. It's just stupid people that need, need a holy slap with a very large Bible. I'm going to kind of read, read it, sister, read it, brother. It says we don't, we don't grieve as others do. No, we do grieve. Loss is loss. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. But we don't grieve as those without hope because we're filled with hope. We're filled with hope. We're people of hope. Randy Alcorn in his book entitled Heaven, and I highly recommend it. It's one of the best out there. Believe me, I've been in many books on heaven preparing for this. Recounts the following conversation with a friend. Randy Alcorn recounts this conversation with a pastor who's one of his friends, pastor at a local church, this guy. The pastor said to Randy, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Why? asked Randy. I can't stand the thought of the endless tedium, said the pastor. To float around on the clouds with nothing better to do than to strum a harp, it's all terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Reflecting on the conversation, Randy Alcorn asks, where did this Bible-believing, seminary-educated pastor get such a view of heaven? Certainly not from Scripture, where the Apostle Paul says that to, to depart and be with Christ is far better than staying on earth. Let me ask you a question, church, as we even begin to step into this subject right now. I wonder about you those who are listening to me now, those who are listening to the recording later, are you excited about heaven? I think some of you will have a really firm grip on this, but others, by the time I've finished, you'll be even more excited because it's better than you can imagine. At the end of the day, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But paradise, here's a little spoiler, is not the perfect eternal state that we'll end up in. It is perfection, but it's not the eternal state of heaven. I'm going to, I'm preempting myself here. I'm going to talk in the rest of this message about heaven now and heaven then. And in order to do that, I'm going to in a minute read from Revelation 21. And at the end of this message, all being well, we'll play a clip from Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham said at the end of his life, he's been dead a few years now, I'm 
looking forward to heaven with great anticipation. He said that when his dear wife had been, been to the Lord, he was so excited, he was reminiscent of the Apostle Paul, who just wanted to go. Now, church, I hope if I do a moderate, even a decent job of this, hope I do a decent job of the service, that none of you are desiring to, to go immediately. And, you know, I don't want to push you off the boat, you know. Live, live your days. But don't get too, too dark about this. But some of you, you're going to want to go when I finish with this. I, I just hope that the fruit of this isn't like... Departed saints, we're going, it's better than earth, this, this Ukraine war and COVID. And <laughs> I've had enough, beam me up Scotty, he says, referencing a science fiction series. Do you think Billy was excited about heaven because he's earned a great reward? So you might be sat there, I've heard a lot of believers say horrible things about themselves. There's so many believers down on the performance. And we do it to each other by our treatment of one another, but often it's usually just ourselves who are down on ourselves. And I hear ridiculous things like referencing John chapter 14, and they say, mansion in heaven, nah, he's got a dog kennel for me, pastor. I'm only worthy to have a dog kennel. Because I've not really done that much for Jesus in my life. And that makes me sad because Jesus is taking you to an eternal place of conscious bliss, which is perfection. And he says, in my father's house are many rooms, many places, many booths. He's using Jewish wedding imagery here, actually. I've not got time to go into it. He's talking about the father saying when the room's ready and the bridegroom and all that business. But Jesus talks about us being welcomed into our eternal dwellings. You'll live in a place. Heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. It's a locale. You'll be welcomed into your eternal dwellings. And it won't be that insecure comparison that we have now, that covetousness that exists that the Bible warns us against. Oh, well, they've got this. and Everyone will just be content in Christ because as we sung, the Lord him self will be the light amongst his people and it's said in our song we should remind ourselves of these things you, do you hear do you see that in the song is it good that we remind ourselves of this it is because you will be in a state of bliss in eternity and you won't be in a comparison trap in a self-loathing trap because you'll be in a place where the psalmist says in his presence there's fullness of joy And at his right hand, there are pleasures. How long for? Forevermore. Now, I don't know about you in this life, when I've had certain things of pleasure, whether it's a packet of Jaffa cakes or whatever, there's a point at which pleasure ceases. So, so, I don't know, I'm just being a bit earthy with my contemplation here. It's probably inadequate. It probably definitely is inadequate. But I'm sure because there's pleasures evermore, the Lord has to be ever creative, ever expansive, ever enabling us to learn. I mean, we've got some stuff to go into. What will our bodies be like? What will heaven be like? What will we do when we're there? Will there be animals there and all of it? We're going to try and do loads in the time. I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's absolutely impossible. But anyway, let's dive into God's word. That was the introduction. 
heaven might better be rendered in its eternal state a new heaven and a new earth. So I'm going to do a reading that will show you the juncture at which the eternal state, the present permanent, sorry, the permanent and final dwelling is revealed. And then I'm going to just track back to show you heaven now and then go to heaven, then the permanent home. The Bible says in Revelation 21, you can read Revelation 21, 22, it's full of joy and light and wonderful things. It says, then I saw, the, the, the apostle's vision on Patmos, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Did you hear that, church? And there was no longer any sea. I, I think for me, I mean, I might be wrong, but sea was a chaotic place. So if you like the sea, you like the ocean, you like surfing, See, if you look particularly at the Corinthian letters, they used to, rather than go under the peninsula, the, the, the Ishmael Peninsula, they'd take it right across the land from, west, from east to west to drag their ships rather than go through the chaotic seas that were underneath that Ishmael Peninsula where, the, where Corinth was based. They were terrified of the ocean. So I, 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 I think that the sea to the ancient world was perceived as a threat, chaotic, foreboding, terrifying. So when it says there's no more sea... I don't know about whether we can literally apply that. This is the challenge with what we call apocalyptic literature. If you press it too hard and say, this is it, you've already lost it. You have to hear the, see the flavours, taste the flavours, and get a general sense of where we're going without being hard and fast over everything. But I think where it says there'll be no longer any sea, we might have sea. Okay? So remember, this is imagery presenting a... And Luke, by the way, this is something Lewis had never read with me, and he saw a vision of this in a dream. And when he told me to it, it was straight out of Revelation 21. And the Lord gave him a series of dreams to say the Lord's return is coming. Um, Remarkable dream. I'll read again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And I love this line. For the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful passage of scripture. What a comforting passage of scripture. Often when we think about dying and going to heaven, our minds adopt the idea that this is a movement from living in our place to an eternity of living in God's place. That's how we think of it. If this is all our mind serves up, we will be left with a feeling of vague emptiness as our minds First of all, cannot conceive heaven. None of us have ever been there. We see flashes of the light in Scripture. But remember, the Scriptures tell us we see through a glass darkly. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope. At the light of heaven breaking into the, to the earth. But, no, but, but, we, but if we only have this sense of moving from our place to God's place in terms of going to heaven when we die, 
we've got a problem because we cannot conceive heaven. The glass darkly thing, even for believers, makes us struggle. And we certainly cannot perceive that it, this is this as an eternal reality because none of us have ever seen anything eternal. So though we understand conceptually what eternity might be, i.e. never-ending, we, we, we cannot possibly conceive in our mind the idea of eternity as it will really be. At the place where in the time-space continuum, the sense where in physical matter and, and, and actual time that relates to the decay of matter, physical matter, and the movement of planets and where we, the days are related to the sun, but on this new realm there's no sun because the glory of the Lamb is the light and time will take on an absent dimension. It won't be there. Time will fall away because time is governed by decay and the movement of physical matter in the world that we live in. So time is a concept rather than a reality. Sorry to be really weird and sciencey. But in heaven, there is no time. That's why the Bible says a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. We've got Jesus at the Mount Transfiguration talking and making moans to Moses, one to lie. Oh, hello, who's this? God of the living, not God of the dead. There's one for later on in my study of do people go into the pause state of soul sleep when they die and wait for the general resurrection? No. I've just done another spoiler. No. Heaven now doesn't say that. We'll get to that. But we have a problem with this sense of moving from our place to God's place in our understanding of heaven because we don't understand heaven based on scripture fully. We can't possibly conceive it. It's paradise, but yeah, that's a bit vague. And nor do we understand the idea of the eternal. Everything in our world is temporal. It dies, it decays, it gets old, it changes, we innovate. Fortunately, the Bible has given us many pictures of what heaven will be like. It also speaks of a division between heaven now, which for those who are interested, heaven now, where our departed loved ones are now, is called by theologians the intermediate state, which means it's not a final reality. And heaven then is called the eternal state. And that's the juncture we saw in Revelation 21, where heaven literally reconnects with earth. Do you remember where in Genesis, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day? And there's this dynamic of intimacy with the divine between man and God. That is going to be restored with bells on after the intermediate state. God will literally come down and dwell in the New New Jerusalem. Now, for those of you with Zionist passions, I want to encourage you. There's a reason why hell has broken loose to destroy Israel and Jerusalem itself and tried to wipe Israel off the map because God is so passionate about recreating the world that he will create a new Jerusalem and he will dwell there and the Bible says the kings of this world which shows that there's going to be positions in society will come and pay homage to this great king of kings in the central part of the new heaven which is also the new earth connected to the divine we we, we don't fully understand this, but we know God is going to do it, the Bible says. So when God makes all things new and the old order of things passes away, where else is this in Scripture? Well, Second Peter tells us that the elements will dissolve with fervent heat. Everything's going to be rolled, everything's going to go, heaven, earth, 
And God's going to completely replace it in a moment. We might say if we jump from 2 Peter to 1 Corinthians 15, we might use this phrase, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. God is going to transform the world. New heavens, new earth. Now I don't want to get lost in this sense of the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the beamer seat, which is where you've got athletic rewards. The crown of life is a picture of the laurel wreath that they had in those days, versus the great white throne where unbelievers will face their judgment. The beamer seat is a place where rewards are given to believers for the way they lived for God in this world. That's why Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, build up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, listen, church, I know, I know I'm stating the obvious, when he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, he literally means that. He's not, he's not using figurative language and, and telling you not to care too much about this world. He's pointing to the vanity of living for this world and losing it in the next life. And when I did this study, my mind was racing to all those heroes of mine in the present world who live completely, but I think of Bill Wilson. Do you know Bill Wilson, the Metro Sunday School? I mean, he is an amazing man. I don't know how old he is now. I'd have to Google it. But he's over in Ukraine now. Right? He just put it on social media. The need is the call. He doesn't wait for a voice from God to go and sort it. He's over there. I mean, he's been in South America recently. He got beaten up, badly beaten up, nose put out of joint, bleeding. He's an old guy when he tried to rescue one of his team from, hijack, from hostage takers who were trying to get money. He went to sort out the drug dealers on his own. Nah, got beaten up by them, smacked on the nose. The need is the call. He's not afraid to die. He's seen lots of staff shot dead in rough parts of New York. He's not afraid. His life is a dead man walking. He's one of the best men of God on the planet. He's over in Ukraine now, probably in the roughest areas. I've not looked at it. Because he's living for eternity. But I was thinking of all these people who are my heroes presently and thinking, my goodness, they're laying up treasure, literally treasure, in heaven that they will enjoy for all eternity. If you get time to Google Francis Chan and the red mark on the end of a rope where the red mark is time and then the rope all around the church is eternity. He said, we're investing in the red bit on the end of the rope. We're spending all of our effort, all of our money, all of our thoughts on this bit and trying to get ahead in this bit. And he said, and that's where we should be aiming and investing. It's a brilliant illustration. And so as we study heaven, it should affect us in time. It should affect how we live now. There will be a time when God's dwelling place will be among the people and he will dwell with us. But let's briefly look at those Two ideas again, heaven now, where our departed loved ones are, and heaven then, heaven now. So where do our relatives go who die in Christ before this time of the new heaven and the new earth, also known as the intermediate state? Well, like many subjects in scripture, it's important to avoid being dogmatic on this subject. So there's a mysterious element to this, and none of us have been there yet. Still, let me be clear on a few things, as I've said earlier. Let me clear a few things up. There is no such thing, biblically, 
as soul sleep, which is the unconscious state of God pressing the pause button until the general resurrection. Jesus is very clear in Luke 16, even before his work on the cross, I believe there was a shift when he died on the cross and rose from the dead in terms of what happens in the spirit realm. But even there he talks in Luke 16 about Abraham's bosom. Do you remember that story of the rich man and Lazarus? Separations of the righteous and the unrighteous. The rich man in eternity was not in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, the beggar, whose dog licked the sores on his legs, was in eternity and he was comforted. Heaven will be a place of comforting. By the way, there's a study on this. Not got time to go into it now. We will remember this life. I can explain that at another time. But we will have the comforting presence of God that our memories will not be a pain to us. It's too deep to go into now, but scripture points to that. The other reason why I think soul sleeps a load of bunkum, as I've said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord right now. Of course, we have the thief who died on the cross today. He'll be with me in paradise. We could argue either way on that using the lack of commas in the Greek language, but I believe Jesus was saying what he was saying today. He'll be with me in paradise. That would be my position Philippians 1.23, Paul says to the Philippians to depart and be with Christ is far better indeed. I want to depart and be with Christ, which is far better indeed. Luke 20, when Jesus has a brilliant challenge from the Sadducees and he absolutely hits it out the park and then it says, and no one dared, I love the passage where it says, no one dared ask him any questions after that. He absolutely pummels them with his genius. But, the, but Jesus, the key in that is not whether it's the seven husbands who had the same wife and who'll be the, whose wife will she be in eternity which they were trying to trip him up that's it's irrelevant at the moment the point that jesus makes is and it's brilliant he says god is the god of the living not the god of the dead jesus is very clear like at the mount's transfiguration people are separated from their bodies now but because of that we shouldn't look at it as being this vague spiritual reality their spirit man, which is more them than their bodies, has been freed from decay. It has been freed from sin. It has been freed from Satan. It has been freed from the toxic environment that we're in now. And all it experiences bliss, perfect connectedness in its consciousness, and perfect enjoyment of the one at whom in his presence is fullness of joy. So when Paul says far better, he means far better. And we can take joy that one day those precious people that have left us will be united with a resurrection body like us. But the Bible's clear. They're still waiting for that resurrected body. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. This corrupt will put on corruption. Perfection will be recreated. Resurrection bodies will be given out. And we will all go to colonize together those who are left, those who have departed. Fair departed than died. Don't like when theologians say they're dead. They're not dead. That's not biblical. Sorry, sorry, friend. You're a great theologian, but you missed John 11. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
So they're not dead. They're alive. They're, as, they're more alive than you, pal, actually, Mr. Theologian. They've just changed address to quote Billy Graham. It doesn't help us in our grief. I'm not saying that as a sort of trite, flippant response to grief. I'm just saying that's the theological and biblical reality for people who've departed, not died. They've been separated from their body. And as Isaiah quite rightly said, and mum said to preach some more message, is this in Isaiah 26. There's lots of stuff in the Old Testament that points to this. Your dead, I love this passage, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. He's speaking of the bodies they've left, their departed spirits in heaven. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and all the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Now, there's more clarity in the New Testament to this theologically and elsewhere. But the, the, the now heaven, heaven in the now, is one of separation from body and spirit, and the, bod, and the body that's been put in the dust, whether cremated or buried, will be completely restored into a resurrected state. Perfection. Incorruption. Is that good? Does that fill us with hope? So our believing relatives have left their bodies and their souls reside with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Dan- Daniel says it elsewhere, Daniel 12, 12, 2, says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Speaking of that general resurrection on the last day, which the Bible elsewhere brings more colour to, there'll be... Re- you- Christian believers will be reunited with the glorified form of their bodies when Christ returns to initiate the final judgment of all mankind, both living and departed. Bruce Milne, the theologian, reflects on this intermediate state, and he says, how time is experienced by the dead, we cannot know. Scripture, however, depicts the martyrs beneath the altar of God as also waiting the Lord's appearing in the new church age. How long, sovereign Lord, the martyrs cry, longing for that moment when the twinkling of an eye thing happens. The tension which the church experiences, which you experience right now, that idea of the kingdom of the now and the not yet, is actually felt in heaven according to that passage. That they know it's an intermediate state. Heaven knows this isn't the final reality. How long, said the the martyrs who, who, who were killed for their faith, how long, sovereign Lord, Heaven knows it ain't over. Heaven now is an intermediate state. It is a holding pattern for the final and general resurrection. So to conclude that first one, that first part of heaven now, according to scripture, departed believers are presently with Christ. And to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, which is far better than their time on earth. However, even though they're enjoying life in paradise... Heaven is awaiting transformation and the ultimate grand design. Do you remember that program? Grand designs. God's going to do the greatest ever. Where God will recreate heaven and earth to make heaven and earth new, where both realms are joined together. Isn't that a wonderful thought? So there is more to come for all of us, for those in heaven and those on earth who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I say at this juncture... The only way to guarantee your eternal salvation, your eternal life in that new heaven and new earth is to repent of your sins 
and turn your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead. And if you want to give your life to Christ today, if you want to be certain that you will go to heaven when you die, and it needs to be done, it's not something that you can gloss over, you need to come and see me at the end. It's the biggest decision of your life. There is no better thing you will ever do, and there is no person that's done it who has ever regretted it. Christ will literally come into you experientially by the presence and person of his Holy Spirit, and you'll know forever from that day that you're going to heaven. And it's a beautiful comforting thought when you go through stuff, which a lot of the people here in this right now have in this room. So let's try to get a measure of some of the ideas of heaven then. What then is the eternal state of heaven? Let's read it again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be them with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, church, we've heard it say the wor- this world is not our home. That's true, but it's only true in part, as we've been saying. We should really qualify that saying and say this world, the earth as it is now, under the curse, is not our home. But we should also say this world, the earth as it once was, before sin and the curse, was our home. And we should add, this world, the earth as it one day will be, delivered from sin and the curse, will be our home. I wonder if this is fresh revelation to some of you who don't like the idea of playing harps on a cloud. I'm not a gifted musician or singer. It scares me, that sort of narrow perception on heaven that sometimes is presented with all the cherubs. I'd probably fall off the cloud. I'm, 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 not the, I'm quite a clumsy character sometimes. I'm out of cups I spill and stuff. <laughs> in the intermediate heaven, which we just spoke about in that first part, we'll be with Christ and we'll be joyful, but it won't be our present home, we'll, our permanent home. We'll be looking forward to our bodily resurrection and relocation to the earth. Our loved ones won't go to the new earth before we go there. We'll all go, as I've said, to colonize that new space together with God with us, amongst his people. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. This was the original design, and God has always desired, amongst those made in his image, that they would one day enjoy him and delight in his presence for all eternity. That glory of the Lord that we sung about earlier. Jesus Christ, the eternal king, that second Adam, has created this privilege to be restored for all believers permanently. Are you still with me, church? Because I'm going to talk about animals and what your body will be like and what's heaven going to be like and try and get a lot in in a very short time now. I just love that psalm, church, because we need to contemplate before we have a glance at a few ideas on this. Heaven is wherever God is, put simply. Heaven is wherever God is. So, so that's why it's far better to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I know the presence of God is on the earth, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not on the earth. Only the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who is left with us, 
But in the presence of that triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the one who's going to turn the kingdom over to the Father after this moment of joining earth with heaven, when all his enemies have made a footstool for his feet, that one, we're going to sit with him in glory and be with him and know him. But there's a lot more to heaven than just the enjoyment of his presence. God has created us not just to enjoy his presence, but to enjoy his creative presence and all that flows from his person. So we'll be dwelling with God both now and then in an utterly blissful and perfect way forevermore. And the entire creation church will be delivered from the bondage to decay. Have you read that in Romans 8? It says that, it says that the present world has been subject to frustration and bondage to decay, but one day will be released when the sons of God are revealed. It's speaking of this time in the future that we read of in Revelation 20, 21. On this new earth, we're told no longer will there be any curse. Revelation 22, 3. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, the new Jerusalem, on the earth. And his servants will serve him. God is the sovereign ruler and all false gods will be taken down. Satan will be eternally dethroned. Remember, he's the God of this world for so many now. People who reject God will be eternally dethroned. Putin and others, they defy God and his holiness. Kiss the sun lest he become angry. All powers will bow the knee, every knee, small and great. Have you seen that in the scripture? I saw them all, small and great, stood before the throne. God's going to bring the great leveler in. God will permanently be enthroned. And the Lord's Prayer, prayed countless millions of times over the centuries, will be dramatically answered at that point. Literally, the kingdom of God will come from heaven to earth. Righteous human beings enthroned by God to reign over the earth from Eden, but dethroned because of their sin, and Satan will be rethroned forever with God. Do you remember it says, and they will reign with him forever and ever? That lost rule will be restored. God's people will reign with him on the earth, not only for a thousand years in that millennial reign idea, but forever and forever. And some people will be given different positions of honor in heaven based on sowing for eternity, treasure in heaven stuff. This is the time when you'll be enjoying your treasure in heaven stuff. So all of you do stuff privately. All the visitation of people pastorally, all the stuff on the storehouse van, all the all this stuff... Everything is going to be brought into the light. You can't study heaven and not think about the exposure that will come. Not to threaten us, but to realize we better be sowing for the right things. Because it's wise. I'm not trying to scare you. There's no hell for the believer. It's not maybe when you get there, you're going to, Jesus died for you. But there is rewards and degrees of rewards for the believer. There are degrees of rewards. The saints of the Most High, Daniel says, will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Christ will become the unchallenged, absolute ruler of the universe. Then he will turn over to his father. The kingdom is one. Redeemed humans will be God's unchallenged, delegated rulers on the new earth. God and humanity will live together in eternal happiness, forever deepening their relationships as the glory of God permeates every aspect of the new creation. You've got to ask the question, church, what will we be doing for all eternity? Well, the Bible talks in descriptive terms about heaven, which, as I've said, in the final state is the new heaven and the new earth combined. What will we be doing in this new heaven and new earth? Well, the Bible uses language of nations, of cities, 
to describe heaven, think about the idea of the word city. What does that concoct in your mind? Innovation? Enterprise? Hustle and bustle? Relational connection? But all of that which we love about the city will be purified so that it won't be a dog-eat-dog world. It'll be a harmony of connectedness and human civilization will go up a notch. My son always says, Dad, when we go to heaven, will we be able to fly? I bet Jesus will let us fly. And I'm like, oh, I just so want to answer yes. <laughs> well, why not, you know? Jesus let Peter walk on water, so physics to God. He is the most fun personality ever. He's the most creative personality ever. But we should know something about how our resurrection bodies. We'll not be superheroes. There's only one God. But we'll have, think about this. Your body will be so transformed in the twinkling of an eye that it will never spoil or perish ever again. So those aches and pains you're feeling now as we get older, I've had loads of shoulder injuries. I feel it, my neck, I feel it on my bed now. I'm only in my mid-40s, but I feel you, You'll be like, yeah, yes, Pastor. Yeah, well, yeah, well, aches and pains, amen, amen. It's all going to go. Your human frailty is going to go. And you're going to enjoy a wonderful state. Let me hurry up because time's running away with this. Can we go to the next slide, please? Randy Alcorn leaves a question that I can't fully answer. He asks the question, are lost opportunities restored? He asks this, he says, heaven offers more than comfort. We think of the bliss and the peace, the eternal state of heaven. But Randy Alcorn says, heaven doesn't just offer comfort, it offers compensation. Let me tell you a story to illustrate how I think he's right with this. And I'll try to put some other scriptures in later on. Can we go to the next slide, please? This is my grandma, my mum's mum, Lillian. Some of you knew her as. And my Auntie Evelyn, my mum's auntie, my great auntie. I love my Auntie Evelyn. love my grandma as well. And I remember my Auntie Evelyn, she used to take me to Wigan Market and buy me sweets. Used to be able to buy two ounce, do you remember that? Or a quarter in, in, in paper bags. I remember my Auntie Evelyn taking me one time to Wigan Market, and she, I think she bought me three bags of boiled sweets that could have broken my teeth on all cases. And she thrilled me even more because she took me to this stand where it had badges for football teams. And, and I got a Manchester United, don't judge me, badge, gold with the, the, the crest of United. Oh, please pray for me about that. It's really, I'm grieving at the moment. Ranyak, I'd like to wring his neck. But she was a delight to remember. I remember once Rachel worked for the bank. She was a bank manager. We had this hardtop convertible. And we drove to Auntie Evelyn's. Rachel did the... Because we wanted to treat Auntie Roof came down in the back. Hardtop car. Brand new car. Got Auntie Evelyn in. And we razzed her with a hair flapping. <laughs> to, a, to a local Italian. And we took her to an Italian restaurant. <laughs> I'm telling you something. Now. She's in glory now. So she's perfected. She was flirting with the waiter. <laughs> Young man. Hello, oh, why not? <laughs> you know, good choice, ma'am. You know, she loved it. She loved the attention, and we were just loving on her. And um, I, I just, I just wept so much when she went. 
But the time just before she went, we'd heard she got really sick. And so we went, her legs were swelling up. We weren't in ministry at the time. It was about 2008, was it? Ish. We had just gone to Bible college one year. And um, we went, me and Rachel prayed. We prayed for, prayed for healing. We didn't know it was cancer there. We didn't know it was terminal. And uh, Rachel saw a vision of a, a crown. She said, I see, see a crown, Auntie Evelyn. The Lord's really pleased with you. I thought, I, my mind's racing. I know what a crown means. What's going on here in a body? And I saw this amazing picture of Auntie Evelyn sat, how mad is this, on Landudno Promenade. I knew it was Landudno in the image. She had sunglasses on and she was smiling ear to ear looking out over the sea. I said to her, this picture, it meant nothing. It's not, you know, one of those weird Christian visions that people think, yeah, you didn't hear God then. It was like one of those moments of, I think God's going to bring joy back to Auntie Evelyn. And we left, we prayed for her and we went out the room. That was the last I saw of her. She went downhill, she died very quickly. Next thing, I find myself at a funeral, just cut up, because it was hard the way she went. And so I went down to her house with her son, Philip, and Rachel and Philip's wife, Leslie. So Auntie Evelyn's son, Philip and Leslie, me and Rachel in a room. We toasted his mother with an old... I hate whiskey. It's the only time I've ever had whiskey. Just foul stuff, but I did it for him. Little tot of it. Wanted to throw it, wanted to spit it out. It was disgusting. But he'd never used it. He wanted to honour his mum, and I was loving on him. And I shared with him what I'd seen. I said, Philip, I know it's a bit strange, but we prayed for you, Mum. We told him the story, the crown. I said, does this mean anything to you? I know you're not a particularly a believer in Jesus. You know, I don't want to weird you out or nothing, but does this mean anything to you, Lamb Dudno? Now, bear in mind, my auntie Evelyn had lost her husband. Her husband died at 49. He died on the HMS Derbyshire that was lost at sea outside the coast of Japan, South China Sea. HMS Derbyshire went down. John Prescott, the Deputy Prime Minister under Blair at the time, initiated an investigation, and something that had been lost about 1980, early 90s, is, is being looked at. We've got to find this thing. that at Parts of the sea, it was six miles down. Miracle that they actually found it with all the robots that go underwater. But they did. They found it, and they found new creatures in their exploration and named it the Derbyshire Nymph. And all of this business, there was incredible moment, incredible investment. But Auntie Evelyn had prayed a long time that she would, they would find out where the husband that she'd lost had gone. Because that's it. Can you imagine? You've not spoken to your husband, no mobile phones. Bang, gone. Never spoke to him. Horrific. All the people in the HMS Derbyshire, he was the chief engineer. She, she was early 50s. He was 49. Um, bang, gone, young woman, lost her husband. So she grieved, she, she inquired of the Lord, she'd got faith, she didn't know her husband was saved. The Lord had showed her, and it was a vision or a word, that when the ship was going down, he cried out to God and that he was saved and she was going to see him again. It was a beautiful thought. <laughs> but I'm there with Philip, this man is an intelligent man, super, super intelligent man, consultant doctor, saying, saying Philip... What does this mean to you, Lamb Dudno? Smiley face, sunglasses. Oh, here we go, church. This is mad. And it won't, it won't answer any of your questions. It'll just give you more questions. He said, when Auntie Evelyn and my dad, Norman, were going to retire, all their life they'd planned to go to Lamb Dudno. And he was going to mend boats in Lamb Dudno. And she was going to enjoy a retirement with him in Lamb Dudno. But of course... 
the opportunity to do that was robbed from Auntie Evelyn. I, I know Jesus teaches the Sadducees about marriage in the next life, but I know we'll know each other. What I want to suggest to you is that whether it's a literal thing, God, I believe, showed me that lost opportunities are possible in a new creation. I believe that young children that go early will get to live again. That's just a belief I have. I really believe that. I believe God is that good and that kind. That's just a personal belief. There's flavors of that about certainly the millennial reign and the age where kids who died get the age of a thousand years and they'll, die, they'll be considered to die young. There's flavors of that. But I just believe that God is setting us up for something amazing. Now, Jesus uses this language, and forgive me for taking time on this, but I, I think it should really help you. Jesus talks about the renewal of all things. Now, notice that he doesn't talk about the destruction of all things. He, he doesn't say the renewal of some things. He says the renewal of all things on the new earth. When sin, death, and the curse have gone, and our bodies are completely renewed. I believe, church, and there's no time to go into it, but because Hebrews 11 talks about the, the heavenly realm that we're going to as a city and a country, that you'll have all the things of a city and perhaps that which you associate with the country as well. Do you remember that mouse, country mouse story? You know, some of us are city folks, some of us like the countryside. I prefer the country than the city, others prefer the city than the country. I believe both will exist in this new creation. There'll be trees, there'll be flowers. Think about the river in the garden, right in Revelation at the end of the book. I believe... So you're pleased about that, aren't you? <laughs> the garden. I believe that there will be flowers and trees and mountains and hills, but everything will be perfect. There'll be dwellings. You'll have your own independent dwellings. There'll be ability to progress and grow and develop. I haven't got the time to show you the scriptures that relate to this, to a point where heaven will be an ongoing delight and exploration of what this world should have been before Adam fell. No more rebellion, no more sin. Judgment is all over. No more covetousness, no more falling out with one another. What we will do for all eternity? Well, we'll live forever with the Lord in a place of absolute bliss. We'll exercise leadership and authority, making important decisions. The kings of this earth will go to the New Jerusalem, pay homage to the King of Kings. Specific de delegated responsibilities are spoken about with Jesus. Trust you with the little. You've been faithful little. I'll give you much. That sort of language in the world to come. Can my son sit at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom when you come with the... That's not mine to give. Can they bear the cup that I'm about to bear? Does it teach us a little bit about those who've suffered the most? in this life and we wonder why can I say in heaven and I'm coming to a close all of our questions about why me or why them or why so much pain or where is God in this mess are all going to be righted when God meters out perfect love and perfect justice 
in one final display of his benevolence and kindness, his perfect nature, where we'll be forever with the Lord, living in the fruit of this world's joys and trials for all eternity. Yes, and I haven't got time to go into it. For those of you who love animals, there will be pets, animals, lions, tigers, and all the other animals God wants to create. Probably rainbow unicorns for Ella's sake. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, Isaiah says. He doesn't say lie, it says wolf. Predator and prey together in perfect harmony. Noah, in a first shadow of this end-time judgment, God was very careful to put all the animals safely in the ark because animals matter to God. That's why cruelty to animals is abhorrent to the Lord. And it's part of our delegated responsibility to look after this world. But in the world to come, if God did that with Noah, and Jesus said in the last days, it'd be like the days of Noah. God did that in the days of Noah to protect animals and enable them to continue. Let me say to you, there's not time to go into it. There will be animals. Hallelujah, Jane. In the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth. It's too big a subject to go anymore into, I'm going to have to leave it there.